0: If a logging truck zooms through the forest, can you hear God? If you're surrounded by medical machinery and lights and beeps in the ICU, can you sense God's healing presence and loving care for you? If the Amazing Genome Project mapping all of our DNA, says so much about us and keeps being in the news, is God getting squeezed out of the equation? If our lives are concerned mostly with keeping pace in a high-tech world and making sense of life, can we really pay attention to God? And how well are we sensing God's sustenance and support, as Ginger was talking to the children about. We're continuing this series on following Jesus without embarrassing God, and today it has to do with life and faithfulness in our high-tech scientific world. As Christians, we affirm that we are made and we're called to be people of God, but when life gets so complicated, when life gets so Fast-paced and full, we might wonder if we're following Jesus or if we are embarrassing God. We had a recent church school class about this led by Michael Bacon last month touching on many of these topics. Michael was assisted by some others in our community namely uh, one Jung Hoon Ha who is a PhD student at VCU and also a medical student at VCU doing both degrees. So this subject of faith has been discussed in this church and faith in our scientific world engages many of us, our minds, our hearts, our lives, we want to keep thinking about how we follow Jesus and not embarrass God with all the technology and the science and the complexities of our world. One of the people that's helped me the most about this is a man named John Polkinghorne, a person I've talked about before from this pulpit. John Polkinghorne is a world-class physicist He's an expert in quantum physics, which is that branch of physics that deals with the very smallest things, atoms and photons. John Polkinghorne was for a long time a professor of quantum physics at Cambridge University in England, and then when he was 49 years old, he decided to become an Episcopal priest, as he said, turn his collar around. Since then, and for the last 30 years, Polkinghorne has been a leading scholar and a leading thinker about science, especially physics, and Christian faith. One of the best books I've ever read is a book by John Polkinghorne called The Faith of a Physicist. In this book, he discusses the articles of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, buried, raised. He talks about every one of these phrases, phrase by phrase, from a physicist's point of view. And when I was in Blacksburg, surrounded by scientists at Virginia Tech, we had Pokinghorn come, come to town and give some lectures and preach at our church. And so I spent several most memorable days with John Pokinghorn. Pokinghorn's writings and others like his don't give proof of God. They don't. But they do give a most helpful affirmation of God, the Creator. God the Creator, even from a scientific perspective. And God the Redeemer, understood in our high-tech world. He speaks about science. He talks about quarks and gluons and facts and data and empirical evidence and all the things that we can know. But he also speaks about what we do not know. In fact, what scientists do not know and how the Christian perspective informs and illuminates and fascinates. The fact that the universe is so comprehensible to scientists like Polkinghorne should not lead us away from God. Polkinghorne shows us how it, in fact, leads us to God. The fact that the universe, with all of its intricacies and and uh, scientific facts, can be increasingly figured out ought to point us not away from God, but more toward God. Folk like Pokinghorn and others really know and understand these intricate details and complexities, science and faith, and they say, it all goes together, actually. They complement each other, science and faith, as... Hulkinghorn puts it in his lovely British accent. For the present purpose, I can do more than to nail my colors to that mast, to the idea of an awesome God active in the midst of our scientific world. There is a truth, capital T, that is guiding all of this, both science and religion. There is someone there, and that one is not only out there, that one, that one is worthy of our worship and our obedience. That one is our ground of hope, Polkinghorn asserts. So we've had our first lesson today. It came from Genesis 1, beautiful words. Beautiful words about the beginning of the world. Though the Bible begins with creation in Genesis 1, the story of the Bible does not really begin in Genesis 1. It begins with how people experience God. It's never first about God brooding over the waters. That's not their first insight about God. It is God coming to them. It is God calling them. It is God touching their lives, changing them, redirecting their lives. Think about Abraham and Sarah. Ordinary people and God entered their otherwise ordinary existence and changed them, called them, in fact called them to be a blessing to the world. Think about Moses met on the side of a mountain and strengthened for important work to go and redeem God's people as a primary agent of God. Think about David, a shepherd boy, became king. Think about Mary, just a young girl. Think about Peter and Paul and other disciples, crusty fishermen whose lives took on a new direction because of God. All these And so many others all through the Bible are living their busy and distracted lives. And then God enters the picture and things change. They're called to a new way of living, a new way of loving, a new purpose. And it's all about God. And then once they had experienced that, God's presence, God's call, God's redemption of their lives and redirecting of their lives, then they started thinking about who this God is. This is an awesome God who loves and cares and is present. This is an awesome God, and he must have been the one, she must have been the one who created the whole world. God was so real, so present. God must be the creator of all, they asserted. So we have the story of creation. And the story of creation is not meant to be a scientific story. It's meant to affirm who God is. It's meant to affirm that God is real and present and big and awesome and at work. And then the more we listen and the more we discover about science and creation, the more we see God at work. The more we see God holding all things together, the more it can make sense, this awesome and loving presence who creates and keeps creating. Our second lesson today is really only echoing that first lesson. Our second lesson comes from John 1. Listen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. This is the word of the Lord. So these familiar words from John are really not about data. They're not about evidence. They're really more like poetry. They seek to engage our hearts. They seek to engage our lives. They seek to keep us engaged with God so that we know who Jesus is, this gift from God, and we're to follow Jesus. Life and light appear in Jesus, and we're to be people of light and light and life, following Jesus. Here's another way of thinking about this. There's a difference between knowing science and knowing God. In science, knowledge accumulates progressively. Scientific knowledge builds on prior knowledge. Copernicus built on Ptolemy. Galileo built on Copernicus. Newton built on Galileo. Einstein built on Newton. Each one progressed based on the discoveries of the others. And today we know so much more than Einstein even knew. But the knowledge of God, it proceeds differently. The knowledge of God is not just about data and facts and discoveries. Each encounter is unique. An individual even. More like a meeting between persons so that a 5th a century mystic Or an illiterate immigrant may have a deeper knowledge of God than a 21st century theologian. A struggling but faithful Guatemalan may have a more sincere sense of God's presence and and God's peace than a whole congregation of wealthy Presbyterians in the United States. To know God really is to have a sense of relatedness to God, to have an openness that goes way beyond acquired data and facts. It's about having heart and soul touched, engaged, changed. In many ways, like Ginger was talking to the children about, this is our goal. A sense of relatedness to God where our lives are touched, engaged, changed. And God's amazing presence and God's wonderful and abiding love touch us in different and varying ways, often in moments that we cannot ever even expect or anticipate. The question is, do we recognize it? Do we see it? Do we have eyes and ears and lives ready for it? Do we recognize it or not? Life can be so complex and life can get so fast-paced that we no longer sense God. Or see God. Or even think about God. And that just might lead us to embarrassing God. Because God has been so present and so active and so attentive and loving and blessing us. And we just get caught up in other things. God's amazing ways inspire us differently. Maybe... We're often looking through the wrong lenses, looking for data instead of an encounter, looking for equations instead of engagement. God can speak to us in books, and God has spoken to me in many books, but we may need to be open too to other moments where God can speak. Maybe it's some mundane moment. Maybe it's some majestic moment. Maybe it's when we're serious about serving God somewhere in the city and we really see God. Maybe it's in reading something that we encounter God. That happens for sure. But it could just be as deep and as powerful in other ways like in silence or in a stranger's voice. Or in the depths of a tragedy and a powerful, overwhelming sense of loss, we finally sense God. Or maybe it's in a sacramental moment, which comes shortly today or in some other unexpected season. It could be many different ways and it's going to be personal and it's going to touch us and invigorate us, and move us, maybe convict us, refresh us, change us, and much, much more. I've learned a great deal about theology. I've learned a great deal about God in books, theologians contributing to my own life and faith, articulating things about God that speak to me. I've also learned a great deal about God in lots of other ways in encounters and experiences where it was clear that God was near and God was real and God was personal and no scientific or other data could ever verify it. I had an encounter of God's love and presence in a very personal way recently at the bedside of a church member who died. There was a certain confidence of God's love all around us who were there in that room. There's a An amazing sense of the communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body and a life everlasting. God's light shining in the darkness. There's little scientific evidence there. But huge clarity about who held us. And who knew us. And who was at work in those moments. I've encountered God's amazing power in difficult times of turmoil and fear in my life when feeling overwhelmed, there was also the sense all things will be well and all manner of things will be well. I've encountered God's tremendous grace in various moments in this city or in far-off places with our mission partners where so many signs point to death and discouragement, and despair, and heartache, and hurt, and yet faith is blossoming. And people are serving God, and people are trusting God in the midst of really bad stuff. I've encountered God in many moments with various ones of you who, no matter what you're facing, you keep trusting God. You keep living and loving You keep on persevering, knowing that nothing separates us from God's love. There's no empirical evidence for this, but it's clear, and it's powerful, and it's real, and it's moving. It's easy to get overwhelmed with our scientific, fast-paced, complicated world. We live with so much change and So much complexity and it's easy to focus on the change and it's easy to focus on the complexity and it's easy to forget about God. We might even embarrass God when we do that. Assuming God's not present or God's not at work. Yet our calling, our calling, our great gift is God's abiding care and steadfast faithfulness and never-ending love. That's what we focus on. Let me close with a quote from Francis Collins. Francis Collins is head of the National Institute for Health. Francis Collins is head of the Genome Project, a top scientist. And I quote, Well, as a scientist who is also a believer, the chance to uncover the in- incredible intricacies of God's creation is an occasion to worship. To be able to look for the first time in human history at all three billion letters of the human DNA, which I think is God's language, it gives us just a tiny glimpse into the amazing creative power of God's mind. Every discovery that we now make is for me a chance to worship God in the broader sense to appreciate the grandeur of God's creation. It also helps me appreciate that there are limits to the kinds of questions that science can answer and that's when I have to turn to God and seek God's answers. End quote. Science and our high tech world can give us so much and we're so grateful for it but we want to be Continually turning to God and finding God's answers. We want to keep following Jesus. Even in our complex and scientific world, may God's Spirit so engage us, so encounter us, so change us, that we are given life to follow faithfully. Today, tomorrow, forever. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall. To turn to you is to rise. To stand, to serve you, to follow Christ, that is to abide forever. We commit to that way. Amen.